Morning, everybody. Uh, can you all see me if I stand from here? Yeah, I'd rather stand here than there, kind of three feet above contradiction. You know, it's be- much better if I'm, if I'm close to you. So, well, I think it is. I don't know if you think it is. It's great to be with you. I um, have had this date in my diary for a long time. Been looking forward to sharing with you and to catching to feel uh, the church and what God is doing in the church. And it was such a privilege yesterday. Isn't God wonderful? Just to hear some of those stories of, of the work of God. Just, he's a wonderful God. Uh, I bring you greetings from Strathnairn Community Church. I actually live uh, in Inverness in Scotland, in the Highlands of Scotland, which is where I and my family live. It's also where God lives, as I said yesterday. And um, I do bring you greetings from that church. Uh, they and my wife have released me gladly. Actually, I thought my wife released me a little bit too gladly, actually, if I'm honest. But, uh, to be with you, um, to share with you for this weekend. I actually um, have changed uh, what it was that I was going to speak on. I had prepared something uh, quite a while back, knowing how long this had been in my diary, Um, but just in terms of as we went through the day yesterday and then in the evening, uh, I went to bed fairly early. I had an early start yesterday to catch a flight down and uh, I just felt that God was kind of nudging me and trying to get my attention with something that I wanted to share with you as a church. So I've changed uh, the message that I had planned on giving you, which means that I do have a spare talk going somewhere. So anytime you want to, you know, it's really good, uh, but um, I do feel that God wanted me to share on what I want to share uh, with you uh, this morning. And it's, I think it's incredibly significant. Nobody planned it this way, but as far as I understand, uh, today is officially the last day of summer. And tomorrow we tip over into autumn and the, the, the equinox and so on. So I think it's something like that, very close anyway. And I suppose that's part of what, that's something that resonated with me yesterday, was that I think that, and this doesn't happen to a church very often actually, so I I think we will be really uh, wise um, to take the moment, to seize the moment. Because I feel that God has got you as a church on the verge, on the edge of a new season. And it wouldn't at all surprise me if if you've heard that um, through various talks over quite a period of time now that God has got you on the edge of a new season. And when things change, uh, there are new opportunities, uh, there are new privileges, there are new pressures. Uh, All, as a friend of mine says, all change produces a conflict, a crisis of confidence. Because when change happens, what we have to do is we have to press in and find God all over again. But change is also uh, a good thing. And I think that you stand on the edge of a new season where God wants to do all sorts of things with you, all kinds of new things with you. Um, It's great to be family together, isn't it? Good. I'm really glad. (laughs) I'll try that again. It's great to be family together, isn't it? I mean, I just, I love what you did there with the kids and with the youth and all the rest. It's just fantastic to see that good numbers and the fact that you've got people working with and they're out now working hard and, and, and to see you operate and to feel you as family, as one family, one body together. And of course, that's one of the great pictures that is used right the way through Scripture and Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks up the picture of, of the church uh, as a body and um, 
Uh, well, let me ask you a question about, uh, if I use my own body as an illustration, what is it right now which this body, Pete Gilbert, what, what is it that I am doing? What am I doing? Walking, yeah, there we go, yes, I'm walking. Now, the thing about walking is, uh, you can take it really easily for granted until you can't do it. And uh, back at the beginning of June, and right the way through until the end of August, um, I had to stop taking walking for granted because I got stricken with a really severe bout of sciatica. Uh, lower back pain and trapped static nerve. And actually for quite a while in June, uh, I could hardly walk at all. I had to measure when I, how I could get out of bed, I had to measure how I could get downstairs because I could only do it once in a day because it was too painful and took too much energy. And I was on high doses of painkillers and uh, high doses of physiotherapy and hydrotherapy and high doses of prayer. And as a result of all of that, uh, I am now standing before you, not completely but able to move and to walk around. And walking is a wonderful thing which we take for granted until we can't do it properly. And actually when you see little nippers, little kids, uh, first beginning to walk, both of my two, I've got two children, the daughter Freddie is now 24, got married two weeks ago, uh, and a son Joshua who's 22. Um, so uh, when, when our kids were growing up, neither of them were quick to walk. Uh, they, they both quite like to get around by shuffling. In fact, we called them shuffle bottom for quite a while because they kind of just shuffled around on the floor on their backsides, too lazy to get up. And then when children get up and start to learn to walk, it's fascinating to watch them do it. Because of the mammals, of course, we are alone in, in, in moving around primarily in that way. And it's fascinating to watch a small child kind of stand there and balance and let go of whatever it is they're holding, whoever it is they're holding on to and then take that kind of first tottering, teetering step forward and then can they do another and the leg swings through. And there's a point, isn't there? We all recognise it. Uh, I felt it with sciatica. Whereas you take a step forward and you're going to bring the next leg through, there's a moment of being unbalanced. There's a moment of considerable tension. Am I right? There's a kind of a point where you're going to, oh, this, is, this all feels a little bit risky. It's a little bit uncomfortable. Where will it land? But the reality is that if we want to follow Jesus, the very term itself, which was the phrase that the early church used most to describe itself, means that we must be moving. Because Jesus Christ, although he's the same yesterday, today and forever, and never changes in his character, he constantly moves on. And so at the end of any day, and I find this very sobering, it's a challenge I bring to myself most days, at the end of every day, as I put my head on the pillow, one of the questions I ask myself is, at the end of this day, am I closer to Jesus than I was at the start of the day? Because although he doesn't change in character, he moves on. And he encourages and invites us to move on with him, to walk with him, to follow after the Master. And to do that, we need to walk on two legs. And it's, there is a, a moment, there is a tension, there is an, an imbalance, there is a, will it work? Where will this take me? And this morning I wanted to talk about the two legs as a church that I believe God wants to uh, catch your attention with if we are to move forward to follow Jesus uh, together as I know he wants us to. 
Uh, I've been uh, reading a little bit recently uh, in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a fascinating book. It's not an easy book. It's quite an easy book to misinterpret or to over-spiritualise. It's written, of course, by the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, when he was in exile, separated from his family, separated from his friends. Um, And it's quite a late book in terms of when and where it was uh, written. And uh, I've been reading particularly in the first two or three chapters of Revelation. Now, those of you that are familiar with the book will know that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, there are a series of letters which are, which are written by the Spirit of Jesus and, and they're written for seven churches. And the seven churches were the seven churches of the day which were probably the most influential. Uh, they were amongst the most well-known, they were amongst the most influential. They weren't the biggest churches, but they were very influential churches. And in some respects, each of the churches, the seven named churches, uh, uh, stand as kind of types of churches, uh, forging ahead, following uh, Jesus. And as I've read those seven letters over, I've, I've begun to realise that there is a, there's a common thread that goes through uh, the seven letters that Jesus is writing to his church. So in each of the letters, there is a criticism. Jesus makes critique of who they are and how they are and what they are becoming. And in each of the letters, as well as a criticism, there is a correction. So Jesus says, this is how you are, but actually this is where you should be, this is how you should be. And the criticism and the correction to each of the seven churches is different in each case. But there is also, in each letter, a commendation. So a criticism, a correction, and a commendation. Now the interesting thing is, as you read, you can check this for yourself, although I'm going to read a little bit just so you can see I'm not making this up. But the interesting thing is, as you go through the seven letters that the Spirit of Jesus writes to the seven churches, you find that the commendation in each letter is the same. So although the criticism and correction is different, the commendation is the same. And the thing that the Spirit of Jesus commends the seven symbolic churches for in Revelation, the commendation is for their faithfulness. It's for their faithfulness. So what he is commending, what he is pointing out above all else in all these different situations is that he loves their faithfulness. So I wanted to, that's why I want us to start. How are we going to follow Jesus as a church? If it's true that you stand on the brink of a new season, what will get us moving forward as a church that Jesus will be happy about? That Jesus will commend? And I think the first leg that I want to talk about that will keep us moving forward is the leg of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let me just let me read you just so you can see what I'm talking about. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow it with me. But I'm going to really dot through, so you're going to have to follow it fairly quickly. Um, I'm going to dot through uh, the seven letters. So we start in chapter two, and the first letter gets written to the church in Ephesus. So just uh, have your Bibles open, but uh, I'm going to flick through the verses to, to point out how Jesus commends faithfulness. Verse 2 of chapter 2 to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. That's about faithfulness. Verse uh, 
three, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's Jesus commending them for their faithfulness. If we drop down to the next letter, which is the church at Smyrna, we uh, read there in verse uh, 10, I think it is, uh, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. What is Jesus commending them for? Faithfulness, faithfulness to the church in Pergamum. We read on there in verse 13, you remain true to my name, you did not renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. Jesus commends them for their faithfulness. In the next letter to the church in Thyatira, uh, we read there in verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Faithfulness. The church in Sardis, we're now in chapter 3, what does the Spirit of Jesus say to the church in verse 2? Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then just dropping down there to verse 3. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it. He's commending them to faithfulness. And then uh, the next letter to the church in Philadelphia. I'm not quite sure what Jesus was doing in the United States of America there, but there we go. Uh, church in Philadelphia. What does the Spirit of Jesus say to the church uh, there, as it opens, he says this, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And then just flicking on a few verses to verse 10, you've kept my command to endure patiently. Verse 11, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He's commending them for faithful perseverance. And then finally to the church at Laodicea in verse 21, what does Jesus say? To him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sit down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Different criticism. Different correction. But the same commendation. Church, I really think God at this new season wants to catch your attention with the leg of faithfulness which will move you forward. And as I prayed for you uh, in preparation for this weekend, but then again last night, uh, I, I felt that God wanted to commend you for your faithfulness. Let me mention three areas where I feel God wants to commend you for your faithfulness. I think God wants to commend you for your faithful desire to pray. And I understand that a bit of a call has gone up recently with things like prayer breakfasts and prayer chains and so on to the church that you might pray. And I just want to say to you, I got such a sense as I spent time with you yesterday and praying for you last night, I such a sense that God wants to say to you, well done. Good and faithful. Now, there's loads of us will be sitting there thinking, oh yeah, but Pete, if you only really knew, you know, if you knew that we don't pray enough, you know, but what's enough, really, what's enough? but actually that you want to make space and that you want to engage with God and that you want to pray because prayer is about... Prayer is not, prayer is not primarily about a, a, a list of, of requests. Prayer is about a heavenly intimate conversation. Prayer is about intimacy. Prayer is one of the, the key building blocks 
by which we build our relationship with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Prayer into the name of Jesus. That's not a formula. That's not something we tag on at the end so that people know that we're about to say Amen and that's the end of the prayer full stop. But praying into the name of Jesus means praying, it's a place. It's praying into a space. It's praying into a time. It's it's praying into the very will of God which is typified by his character. We pray into the name of Jesus. And I think God wants to commend you for that. I think God wants to commend your faithfulness and encourage you to persevere when it comes to individual prayer and to corporate prayer. Because this I'll tell you, as you know, your corporate prayer life as a church will consist of the collection of your individual prayer life as members of the church. It's synergy. When you add it together, two plus two is five. Yeah, you get more. But actually God won't take you beyond where individually we want to go. And God, I think, wants to commend you for your prayer, your your desire to pray and to seek him. And I I commend you to that for what that's worth. I don't know I don't know I don't know any church or any movement of God that moves forward in Christ that has not been birthed in prayer. The second thing I felt God wanted to commend you for in terms of your faithfulness, the leg of faithfulness that will move us forward, is in the and I, I picked this up right from the start of the day yesterday. It was wonderful. Your, the sense of family that you have here. Three of us. Good. That's great. Okay. I just, uh, I, uh, I walked in and it felt so, fr- I mean, partly it's the fact that I'm back in the northwest of England. I mean, you know, that's, when God doesn't live in Scotland, he lives around here, doesn't he? Let's be honest. I was born and bred in Wigan. I was raised in Standish. Oh, slightly fewer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And, and, and it, it, it is a, a friendly area. I'll tell you what, the Highlands are amazing. You think about an Englishman moving to Scotland, but the, the welcome that you got there and the friendliness in the, in the streets and the shops are just fantastic. I go to the local corner shop, I have to have 15 minutes in my diary. I can't pop in for a paper because you know that you're going to sit and talk and, and get the whole story of what's going on in the, in the little rural area that I live in. But it's more than that for you, church. I believe that God has given you something. There's, there's a DNA in this church. There's a, an angel over this church, however you want to put it. There's something here about family. There's something here about community. It, it's fantastic seeing the kids. It didn't feel like just doing a bit of kids' work, a little bit of youth work, but actually part of the family. Part of the family. And I want to commend you, because I think God wants to commend you, that you're building family here. You're building community here. And so I urge you to give faithful attention to how you love one another. To how you speak well of one another. To ha- it's an interesting little, try it sometime, do the little exercise of looking at the one another's in scripture. Just look up the one another's. You do it in a concordance. There's, there's stacks of them. There's, there's well over 20 commands about how we deal with one another. Bear one another's burdens. In honour, prefer one another. Do, a negative one, there's only two negatives. Do not gossip against one another. Speak well of one another. The, the building of community, the building of family. Something about being inclusive. 
I want, I want to say to you, church, and of course I can be completely wrong, I want to ask you to weigh this, but I do think that God is about to shake you up a bit. I think he's a... In fact, some of you will hate this, uh, and I could be wrong. But I think he might be about to mess you up a bit. I think what he wants to do is to make sure that our hearts really are inclusive. So that we don't become monotone or monochrome, but actually we welcome anybody and everybody who wants to serve and follow Jesus. And we look at the last and the lost and the least. And we include them. And that takes me on to the third area when we're thinking about the leg of faithfulness that I felt God wanted to commend you in and encourage you with. And that was the whole area of mission. Um, I, I went through into the other, I don't know what it's called, you know, the other little hall. Correct. That, the, the one through there. Because and, and, um, that's where all the cakes were. Just felt drawn in that, in that direction yesterday. And, um, and there's a board in there, isn't there? with all the kind of mission works and the missionaries and the pictures and the, the, the little maps and stuff like that. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. God has clearly done something with you as a church, given you gifts that you can support people like that and money would be the very least of that because whatever we get, we're to give away and that's what mission is about. And I felt that God wanted to commend you for that give away what you've got. You're a rich church in so many ways. Give away what you've got. Give it away. And not just mission, which is about, you know, out there, but mission, which is about out there. So mission into the locality. When, gee, you've got a, I was intrigued to see that you've got a series on at the moment about passion for, for sharing your faith, passion for me. That's fantastic. And when Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, uh, go into all the world and make disciples, the phrase all the world there is the little Greek phrase teethne. And it does mean go to all the nations, go to all the world, but it literally means go to every people group. And you know what? There's a whole stack of people groups just through those doors. But God wants to take the church and turn her outwards in, in, in mission and in uh, local evangelism. I felt God wanted to commend you for that. But all the time that we're moving forward on the leg of faithfulness, in order to keep the momentum going so that we do not stop or we do not grow into inertia, there's a swing through that has to happen and that moment of tension and oh my goodness, will it work, where will it land? I feel a little bit unbalanced as the other leg comes forward and carries us on. And the second leg that I wanted to talk to you about this morning, church, after the leg of faithfulness, is the leg of change. Is the leg of change. I wonder if you, I want to, I want to refer you, uh, this is a really odd little uh, reference, but I want to refer you to a, a, a little scripture which uh, God captured my attention with uh, a wee while ago, and it's in Jeremiah. So if you've got your Bibles again, just have a look at it for me. Jeremiah chapter 48. And it's a fascinating little passage, um, and I'll, I'll just put a bit of context uh, to it for you, because I don't know that we're necessarily kind of know the context just from the reading of the. I'm going to read a couple of verses, one verse probably. Jeremiah 48. Now this is the this is the weeping prophet. This is the man of God. This is the young man of God whom God calls by His Spirit and anoints by His Spirit to speak to His nation. 
And Jeremiah had a kind of ministry that, did, that kind of was in, incredible, but didn't, in the immediate, seem to bear much fruit. Uh, he was also the prophet who oversaw, as Jerusalem fell, uh, the taking out from Jerusalem of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was hidden in the hills to keep it safe. And thereafter, uh, uh, Jeremiah was the prophet who lost it. All right, so it, w- it went missing and it was never found again until Indiana Jones uh, came on the scene. <laughs> and uh, Jeremiah was often known as the, the weeping prophet. When God called him, he was probably, as far as we can understand from church history, probably about 17 years old when God called him to be a prophet to the nation. Let's uh, just follow uh, uh, one verse, it is actually really. Uh, Jeremiah 48, verse 11. Moab has been at rest from youth, like wine left on its dregs, not poured from one jar to another. She has not gone into exile, so she tastes as she did, and her aroma is unchanged. Now, if you follow it on, and we, we, we won't, we don't have time to, if you follow it on in verse 12 and 13, you would find that God says, and do you know what, because of that, I'm going to send people who are going to mix it up. Now let me give you the, just so as we get the context of this, Moab was um, a raised area, sat on a plateau, um, and it is a raised area so it can see above the rest of the land, and it was quite a fertile area, and the, the main crop in Moab was to do with viticulture, the, the growing of grapes for the production of wine. And um, because it was on a plateau, it was actually quite a safe place. So Moab had never been contested. She'd never, been, she'd never had to fight for her own land. She just kind of sat there in her own richness and in her own croppage, and she'd enjoyed the view, and it was wonderful. And, and as a result of that, the wine that was produced, this is what the reference is there in 4811, uh, never had to be poured out, never had to be changed. Now, here's the funny thing about wine. Wine is one of my main hobbies. Just reading about it, you understand, obviously. Um, but onology, it's seriously, wine is one of my hobbies. And so, I've come to understand that when you make wine, if you want the wine to be really good, even if it's white wine, actually, at first, you leave it for a while on its dregs, or what's usually called its lees. And that's the pips and the skins and all that sort of stuff. And what that does is it, it imparts flavour, but it also imparts tannin. And tannin is what gives wine its structure and what helps it to, to, to keep, to last for, for a long time. Red wine more than white. But even with white wine, you'll do that. If you buy a bottle of Muscadet, uh, you want to buy a bottle of Muscadet, it says Muscadet sur lee, because it means it's been left on its lees. It'll be that bit better. But the interesting thing with wine is this. Red or white, if you leave it too long on its lees, on its dregs, that which created structure and form and flavour becomes poisonous. And it ruins the wine. So what you actually have to do is you have to decant the wine. You have to pour the wine. Does this ring any bells for you, Jesus? You have to pour the wine from the old wineskins into the new wineskins. It's had the richness here, but it must be poured out if it is to continue well. There's another uh, odd little 
a reference in the middle of a psalm. You don't need to turn to it. Uh, again, it's only one verse, but I'll read it to you in Psalm 55, in verse 19. It talks about men, people, generic term, people who never change their ways and have no fear of God. People who never change their ways and have no fear of God. And so, whether I'm right or wrong, as I prayed for you as a church, I felt that God wanted to commend you for your faithfulness, which will take you forward. But also wanted to challenge and encourage you with a call to change. To change. The tension between faithfulness and change. And, and so my question to you is this. He says, Moab has been at rest, as like wine not poured from one jar to another. Are you willing to be poured out? Are you willing to maybe even leave the good to get the better? Because God is encouraging you to do that. And I, I, I finish by, by saying three things that um, I felt God wanted to catch your attention with when it comes to change. If he wants to commend you in the area of prayer, if he wants to commend you in the area of family, building community, if he wants to commend you in the area of mission, I think that he also wants to encourage you with the tension of change, particularly when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was, a, uh, it was a, such a privilege to be with you yesterday. And it was a rich day. I think God, you heard some of the testimonies. It would be great to hear more of the men, but we heard a lot of the testimonies uh, from some of the ladies there and one guy uh, uh, and I'm aware just of people I talk to and pray for that God did a whole stack of stuff it was a rich day God is a rich God and wants to be generous with you and I want to encourage you to continue to press in uh, to even more of the Holy Spirit because there's always more of the Holy Spirit uh, I wrote in my notes the phrase that was used uh, in one of the testimonies and it's just a just a throwaway phrase that I, I used yesterday, but I think it is a phrase for you, that the Holy Spirit goes the most where he's welcomed the most. And he stays the most where he feels the most comfortable. He's, see, the Holy Spirit is looking for heaven on earth. And our job is to build that framework and his job is to fill it. But the Holy Spirit has always looked for a framework to fill. Whether it's a person in Christ that he could fill at his baptism, he could be baptised, filled, immersed, saturated with the Holy Spirit, or now through the Holy Spirit, whether it's on his church, looking for a body to fill that will move forward on the twin legs of faithfulness and change. And so there's something, I think, for you. I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased to hear my heart. I know most of you don't know me. Hear my heart. I'm, not, I'm in no way criticising you. I am encouraging you to explore and experiment and to learn what it is to host the Holy Spirit and his presence in your midst. The second area I felt uh, God wanted to encourage you uh, to consider change um, to press deeper, we all need to press deeper, is in the whole area of discipleship. Uh, if it's not already, I suspect 
that that is going to come onto your church agenda over the coming months. That God wants to nudge you, encourage you, push you forward in the area of discipleship. So that each one of you, eventually, if you count yourself um, a committed member of this church, and I know that most of you do, that you know who your Paul is, the person who's discipling you. Or if you're female, you know who your Pauline is. Yeah? Okay? And not only do you know who your Paul is, the person who's looking after you, discipling you, who knows everything about you, all the good stuff, all the hopes and the dreams and aspirations, but who also knows all the bad stuff, all the fears and the sins. But you also know who your Timothy is, the person that you're discipling. So the way you're in a chain, an unbroken chain of being discipled, receiving and giving it away. Or if you're female, you know who your Timotina is, or you know, whatever, whatever that is. Discipleship. Discipleship. Accountability. I think God's got that on his agenda for your church. And the last thing I want to say, um, and again, I had no idea, I didn't, didn't realise that this was a, um, a new appointment. In fact, so new it's not even yet landed. Um, but the last thing that I felt that God caught my attention with, and I think wants your attention with in terms of change, is to do with youth. I think that God has something special for you as a church when it comes to youth. And that he wants to open floodgates to you when it comes to youth, but that will cost you. It it, it will cost you financially, but it will cost you in terms of the neatness of your building and fire extinguishers being let off and all that sort of wonderful stuff. So we'll have to choose, do we want a neat building or do we want loads of kids saved? But I think... God wants to encourage you and challenge you with your current but your increased investment into youth. And that's not just about money or making an appointment so someone does it for you. But it's, a, it's back to family, isn't it? It's back to religion. It's opening the family home up and creating a space where youth can feel at home. Most of what's happening for most families out there is despair and disintegration. And the people that that hits the most and affects the quickest are young people. And God wants them in his family. He wants them in his family. So invest. But also, see, you've got some cracking young people. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? All the the pictures. I really hope they weren't self-portraits, but the the, the pictures earlier on from the the wee ones and and then the the youth who stood up with the the things, the signs and talked about what God had taught them. We really, I know you do, but let's commend you and encourage you. We really need to hear that and take it seriously because we don't want to invest in youth, we want to release youth. These are not the leaders of the church of tomorrow. How do we make them the leaders of the church today? Because I think that's God's heart. God has a special place in his heart for youth. Well, let me finish by saying this. As, um, as I've spoken about the leg of faithfulness and the leg of change, an interesting thing will have happened in the congregation. Some of you will have sat there thinking, oh yes, yes, faithfulness, that's me. I really want, uh, God, I want to be found faithful. This is so good. God, I want to persevere. God, I want to get my head down and I want to push and I want to pray and I want to build and I need your help and, and I want to be found faithful. 
And some of you will really have warmed to that, that, that notion of God's commendation for your faithfulness. And that's fantastic. And some of you would have sat and thought, when I started talking about change, some of you would have thought, yes, bring it on. Sooner than later, let's change it all. Huh? And if we're not careful, we end up falling into two camps. The faithfulness camp versus the change camp. Can I say to you as clearly as I can, that's not godly. Because God wants both. He wants faithfulness and he wants change. And do you know what? It's okay to predominantly think, no, I think I'm with that. I need, I'm, I, that's my personality. It's often just personality. That's who I am. It's my gifting. It's my personality. I'm, I want to be found faithful. And some of us, it's your gifting. It's your personality. But yes, let's change it. Let's risk it for a biscuit. Let's throw it all up in the air and see what comes down. And do you know what? One is not right and the other is wrong. We need one another. So in a moment, church, we're going to share communion. And what is communion about if it's not about celebrating the risen Christ and the family that he's created? Which is a family together where we embrace faithfulness and we embrace change. And therefore, we follow Jesus and we go forward together. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray in the name of Christ that you will find us ready to follow. And that we'll do that on the twin legs of faithfulness for which you commend us and change to which you encourage us. That you will find us, our body, ready to be filled with your Holy Spirit and then driven into ministry in the power of God. Lord, as we share communion, help us to this end, we pray, to be family together. In Jesus' name, amen.